Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you. I bring greetings from Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Placerville. Thank you, whoever left this water up here. I did bring my large gallon jug that I normally bring in case, but thank you. Um, I bring greetings from Placerville, where I'm from. It's about an hour and ten minutes, heading up 49, heading up towards lovely Tahoe, up 50. Uh, I'm a member, Sunday school teacher, and Lord willing, hopefully soon to be an elder too, up there. Uh, Currently, we've got one elder and two deacons, Pastor Jeff Oliver, who is an Englishman. So that's quite a hard thing for an Irishman, an Englishman to get along, but we get there eventually. We have a few knuckleheading sessions, but the Irish always wins. But no, don't tell them I said that. Um, I am Irish. I did joke beforehand that if you don't understand anything I say, my sermon notes are available online for you to... No, I'm just kidding. Um, I hope you're able to understand me as best as possible. But it is a privilege to be here. Um, Rob and I have a mutual friend in Kyle Fitzgerald. So if this goes south, don't blame Rob, blame Kyle next time you see him from Stockton. But it's wonderful what the Lord can do. An Irish man in the church far off from home, able to open up God's word. And it's all done through Christ. Nothing in us at all. I didn't come here today in my own strength. I came in the strength of the Lord. And so to that end, let's take our Bibles and let's open to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read there the last account in that chapter, the one, if you have an ESV like mine, where it says, Jesus calms a storm. And we're going to read from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Mark 4, verse 35. This is the Word of God. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And another boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, that is Christ, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. Let's come to our great God now in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come and to worship and to praise you, our great God. We do thank you for the privilege it is of this one day in seven that you have set aside where we can lay the things of this earth aside and come and worship you as you've commanded us. We thank you for this fellowship and church here and we pray that you would draw near to us now, that you would send your spirit to this place both to the listener and to the one proclaiming your truth. May it be, dear Lord, that the words that go forth would be unto your edification and pleasing. May it be that your people are built up this morning in their faith when they see Christ from Scripture. And may it be that we rejoice knowing that you indeed are the one true and living God. Be near to us now in all these things, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The text that finds the Lord Jesus, this text finds our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of a very long and a difficult day. During the long hours of this day, Jesus had many confrontations. He had it with his old friends, the Pharisees, those people who popped up time and time again to ridicule and mock and scorn him. You read that in verse 22 to 30. Some of his friends and his family had even thought at this time that Christ had lost his mind. What did they do? They tried to kidnap him. And during the latter part of this day, Jesus sat in a little boat just off the shore of Galilee, and he used that boat as a pulpit, but like this, in which he preached to those multitudes who were gathered around him. And when the day had ended, the night had come in, 
he caused his disciples into that boat and commanded them to set sail for the other side of the lake. So nighttime comes, and here we are finding the disciples rowing across that little lake. And while they guided the boat, the Lord Jesus Christ is lying asleep in the rear of the boat. Now the Lord's disciples were accustomed to being on the Sea of Galilee at night. What were they to begin with? They were fishermen. And while they rowed to the other side, a tremendous storm engulfed their boat. These men found themselves in a fight for their lives in the midst of that storm. The storm that threatened the disciples was, as I have called it, somewhat of a superstorm. It was a storm of unusual power and intensity. It terrified the disciples and caused them to fear for their very lives. Now, why do I call it a storm of unusual power? Who were these men? Fishermen. These were men who were accustomed to winds and waves going across lakes at night, and yet these men were terrified to their very core. But in that storm, on that dark and terrifying night, they experienced the Lord's power to deliver them from the storm that threatened to kill their lives. And this morning, I'd like for us to join our Lord and these men as they faced that storm. They, that night, thought that they had found themselves in what they called a hopeless situation. A situation that perhaps they thought there was no escape. And what these fishermen learned that night has so much to teach us this morning. These disciples found themselves in a powerful storm. It was so intense that they feared for their lives. And so this morning, there's hope for us. There's hope for hard cases. And that's the lesson that I want us to learn this morning. We've all found ourselves in storms of life from time to time. Everyone here is on a journey. Those who are Christ are sailing towards that glorious place called heaven. But the lost are also sailing somewhere. They're also sailing towards a place called hell. Sometimes it's nice as a guest preacher because you don't know anyone. It has its benefits. You can lynch me and kick me out and I may never see you people again. Hopefully in glory I will. But sometimes as a guest preacher we can really hit on hard things. And this morning I'm here to tell you that hell is a real place. It's a place that those who are not found in Christ will go to. I don't know any of you at all. I know Rob a little bit, but that's it. This morning, I do not know where your vessel of life is going, whether it's heaven or whether it's hell. But there's hope this morning, and that hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as we seal, storms will arise. They will threaten our vessels. Often like the, often like the disciples will come to believe that those storms were sent to destroy us. There are times when we think, what is going on? But I want to remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, that if you are found in Christ, then that storm was not sent to destroy you, but to do what? To develop you and make you more like Christ. The storms of life may grind at you. They may wear you down. But the Lord will use them to grow you for what? His glory. And no matter how severe and intense that storm may be, and you're sitting there this morning and perhaps your mind is already starting to go, well, Merv, I've got this problem and I've got this issue and this is happening. Let me reassure you this morning that your case is not hopeless if you are found in Christ. Even some of you perhaps are beginning to switch off. The old Irish dulcet tones are starting to put you to sleep. Then I ask you this morning, wake up. Wake up. As there is a hope for those who are found in Christ of heaven and home, there is also hope for you in that same person. There is hope for you this morning, even though you're sitting there lost in your sins. And what is that hope for all of us? The Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for Christ. 
And so this morning I want to open up this passage under three headings. For those of you who are taking notes, I hope these are pretty simple. The realities of this storm, the realm of this storm, and the reasons for this storm. I'll read those again in case I was a bit quick. The realities of this storm, the realm of this storm, and the reasons for this storm. So first of all, the realities of this storm. This storm is unexpected. Mark tells us there that there arose a great storm of wind. Now, storms like this are actually very common on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a most unusual body of water. It's relatively small. It's only 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. But it's 150 feet deep. And that shoreline is 680 feet below sea level. Because the Sea of Galilee is, is below sea level, it's surrounded by mountains. Why do I tell you this? Because it's susceptible to sudden storms. Those storms that sweep across the land and come up over the mountains and they're causing downdrafts over the lake. And then add that to thunderstorms that come, lightnings and everything else. That sea can be calm one minute and savage the next. But something unusual. Storms like this one do not usually occur at night. So the disciples at this time did not set out in a storm. It's not like when I live in Ireland and I go to Belfast and I'm going to Scotland and I look out and you go and the boat's sitting like this in the dock and you go, it's probably not a good idea that we go. These men didn't set out like that. They didn't expect to encounter a storm. But a storm came. And isn't that life? It can be calm sailing one minute and the next it seems like you're fighting for your life. One minute you can be enjoying that lovely fair weather and the next you find yourself in the middle of a terrible and horrible storm. One phone call. One 24-hour period of time. One doctor's visit. One tick of the clock. And you're plunged into a storm a raging storm of life. It shouldn't surprise us, and yet it does. The Bible clearly tells us in Job 14.1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. John 16.33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart I have overcome the world. This morning, you sit there, you're in one of three places. You're either in the midst of a storm, you're just coming out of one, or perhaps you're heading into one that you have no idea that's coming. Sudden storms are part of our lives. It shouldn't surprise us, and yet it does. But look at Mark there where it says, the storm continued so much in that little boat until what? The ship was now full. Mark tells us also that this was a great storm. That word great means exceeding, loud, large, and mighty. It refers to a storm of extraordinary ferocity. Matthew calls this same storm in the, in the parallel passage in Matthew 8, a great tempest. That word tempest refers to a violent upheaval, something like an earthquake or a volcano. The sea rose and fell under the disciples' boats and those waves were beating against them. The disciples felt no stability. They felt no safety, no security. These men are terrified to their core because of the severity of this storm. But they're fishermen. Shouldn't they be accustomed to these things? That's the point I'm trying to get across, that this storm was so extraordinary that these seasoned men were terrified. That ship is rocking and reeling. 
It's tossing left and right. It's full of water and they're afraid that they're going to sink. It's the middle of the night. They didn't have lovely torches like we do. They weren't able to whip out their iPhone and flick on that light and see where they're going. They didn't know where on earth they were. They knew they were on a boat, on a lake, where they were. They had no idea. They couldn't even see the other ships around them. They were in terrible danger, and they knew it, for they said in verse 39, we perish. That phrase literally means we are being destroyed. They awoke the sleeping Savior and they cried, Help us, Lord, this thing is killing us. When our storms come, they too are severe. And they terrify us. They fill us with fear and with worry. Those storms blow in without any warning. And they increase in intensity until it seems that they're, they're never going to end. Take the, sto- the storm of suffering. They devastate us with heartache, with heartbreak and turmoil. One problem arises after another until we're buried as what it seems under an avalanche of affliction. You don't know me, but my mom back home has been sick pretty much all of my life. I can attest to seeing from a distance the storms of suffering. She has a walking walking stick to help her walk around, and I remember as a young boy seeing her beat that stick in the bed, yelling, why me, Lord, why me? And yet I've never met a woman who prays as much in all of my life. Suffering comes, and it's hard, and it brings heartache and heartbreak and turmoil, and at times you think, am I ever going to get over this? Yep. When you reach heaven. But there's also storms of of sorrow. Someone you love is taken away in death. And it leaves you broken. It leaves you grief-stricken. It leaves you shaken by your loss. Sorrow touches every life, even the lives of the saints of God. It even touches those who walk close to the Lord. Remember, Jesus was in the boat, and yet these men were still afflicted by a storm of sorrow. Perhaps a loved one has passed away. And you feel that loss, that empty chair sitting there. Those memories of that person are now starting to fade. But there's also a storm of sin. It rages within all of us. Perhaps sin enters our heart as a a pleasant, calm breeze. It promises us the best, but sin it displays its darker side. And it will rip through your life like a tornado, leaving a trail of damage and destruction that can only be repaired by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are sinners. We were born in sin. And only the blood of Christ can forgive us from those sins. Is that you this morning? Storms come. They bring fear. They bring anxiety. They bring pain. But this morning as you sit there, no matter who you are, either a believer in Christ or one who has not known Christ yet as Savior, there is no storm on earth that heaven cannot calm. There is no problem so great that Jesus cannot fix it. Perhaps you're sitting there in pain and anguish and hurt. Run to the Savior. Run to that one who can help fix the problem. Those who are sitting there and you don't know him as Savior, run to him today while you still have breath and life. 
and then watch him deal with it. Watch him deal with those issues and those storms as only he can. So if that's the realities of the storm, then what about the realm of this storm? This storm was right in their face. I say this for the sake of repetition, but this storm was real. A few weeks ago, preaching in my own home church, I had a few raised eyebrows. It's funny when you preach and you look out at the congregation and some smile and some are sleeping and some are on their phones and some are like, well, you don't have any brick here, but some people are counting the brick behind you. And you see everybody's face. And you stand at the front and I opened up Mark chapter 1. I'm starting a new series in Mark at home. And I asked the question, do you believe the Bible? And people were like, wait, what? Eyebrows started to go and do you believe the Bible? Do you believe it? Do you believe that on a certain night in a certain place that men got in a boat with our Savior and went across a lake and a great storm arose. Do you believe that? Because I can tell you right now, these were real men at a real time in a real storm. This is not some fable or story to get us through another Sunday morning. This happened. These men, seasoned men, were fearful for their lives. Why? Because it was right smack in their face. They could feel the wind. They could feel the waves as they battered that boat that they were in. These men were soaked to the skin with waves. They weren't sitting in there, their little Hawaiian shirts, their little punch drink or whatever. No, these men were... In darkness, soaked to the skin, being tossed about to and fro, the, the boat was filling with water. They were so tired and overcome from... You ever try to take water out of a boat and it just keeps coming in? It's very tiring and very discouraging being there, done it. When you live in an island that has water all around, you have a lot of boats and you get in them and suddenly you realize, oh, there's a hole in this one. And you're quite a ways out and you go, well, I'm in trouble now. And you start as quickly as you can. These men were struggling. There was nothing to pretend about this storm. This storm was real. And that's the same when storms come into our lives. We feel them. They shake our world. Sometimes they touch our flesh. They make us sick. We can have illness, whatever it is. They touch our heart and we feel it. They rock our minds and we feel it. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is hard and difficult. Storms are very real. They batter our lives every single day. They wear us down. They leave us at times broken and wounded. They hit us in the face just like those fishermen had that night. But you see, the greatest danger that those disciples had that night wasn't an actual physical thing. There was a real storm at a real time. But it was the storm that struck them at their very heart. Their very heart with their walk with the Savior. That storm that night was the most dangerous storm they'd ever faced. They asked the Savior, Teacher, do you not care? They accused the Savior of this world about not caring about what they were facing. Why did they doubt? They had just seen his compassion, they had just seen his goodness, they had seen all of his acts before them. They had seen Jesus come up from problems and he conquered everyone imaginable. Go back and read Mark 1 through Mark 3. But now they're faced with a storm, personally, by themselves, and they're afraid. 
Those men should have known that a puff of wind on a little pond couldn't thwart sovereign omnipotence. Do you know what their problem was? They were looking at their situation and not their Savior. I'll say that again. They were looking at their situation and not their Savior. They had their eyes on the problem itself and not the problem solver. But we're just like that. Have there been times when the storms are raging in your life that you've actually questioned God's concern for you? You might not have said it out loud. But I'm sure there's been times when your flesh has cried out, Lord, don't you care about what's happening to me? Or if the Lord really loves me, then why is this happening? I've been there. Three years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And many nights, not to get too graphic, but many nights sitting in my bathroom at 3 a.m. in the morning, crying out, Lord, why me? Why am I here? Why not me? Christ cares. And He cares more than you can ever imagine. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 is a passage that is read and it's not fully embraced. But it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, not sheepishly, not mumbling or fumbling, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He cares and He is working in your situation. Even though you may not see it now, He is. And that is where you're to put your faith and your trust and keep going to Him with confidence. You might have a situation that you will take to your grave. Or if the Lord returns, then it will be all over as well. But He gives you the mercy and the grace to find help. Those those fishermen, when that storm is raging about them, Jesus is what? He's fast asleep in the back of the boat. And they awake him. They don't just like poke him and say, are you awake? No. That word awaken means to rise from sleep. Knowing some of those fishermen and the situation they were in, they probably grabbed him by the coat and shook him and said, Would you waken up? They went to where Jesus was sleeping and they began to shake him to wake him. These men are terrified. They have lost, they have lost hope. Those men have lost hope. They ran to him and they cried, We're perishing. Remember, it was Jesus who had sent them out into the sea in the first place. These men had left everything to follow Christ, and now what? We've left everything behind, we've had a few good months together, and now what? We're all going to drown on a lake? They had thought that he led them into that impossible, dangerous situation, and they were afraid that Christ was going to just fall asleep and let them all perish. Just like those fishermen, Jesus did not save you to just abandon you when times get tough. He is actually more committed to you than you are to him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That word leave means to let sink. The word forsake means that he won't abandon you, desert you, or leave you under any circumstances. You are bought by the blood of him. You are clothed in his righteousness. When the storm is raging, when your boat is rocking and reeling, 
When those winds are blowing against you and those waves are crashing in your vessel and it seems like all hope is lost, he will not let you sink, brothers and sisters. He will hold you up. He will never desert you under any circumstances. The Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely and fully committed to you. He is your sure and steady anchor. He is that bulwark never failing. The city of Jerusalem once felt forsaken by the Lord. Here's what they said, and then later on in the verse, what the Lord said and replied. It says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, then may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. The walls are continually before me. Christ was nailed to the cross for you. He was beaten and spat and scourged for you. He died for you. He gave his blood for you. He is 100, in fact, infinity times committed to you. He will be present with you and is present with you. He will give you grace that is sufficient for your need, not your want. Your want would be perhaps to get rid of that storm, but that's not what it says. It says sufficient for your need. You may take some of your storms, like I said, to the grave, but he will get you there. 2 Corinthians says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we are weak, he is strong. When you are struggling, he is strong. He is the one that we can run to and cling to. You see, these men need not have feared because of a promise that Christ had given them in verse 35. He says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Christ said what was going to happen. They were going to get to the other side. This is the one who created heaven and earth. The one who sustains it. The one who knows the very hair on your head. Those men in the midst of that storm, if they had taken Christ at his word, would have looked at that storm and would have laughed. Christ didn't say, well, we're going to get two-thirds the way there, a storm's going to arise, and we're all going to die. No, he said, let us pass to the other side. Christ knew in the other, that at the end of the night he was going to walk off that boat and walk on to dry land. But isn't that like us? We're just like those men where we read God's word and yet we forget it so easily. The Lord has promised us that if we are finding him that everything is going to be all right. Read Romans 8, 28. We say it all the time, but read it when you go home this afternoon. And then believe it. And if you're taking notes, write down this. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And Luke 12, 32. And then basically begin at Genesis and read to Revelation. This is the word of God. This is not some fable. This is not some story. This is not some, again, I don't know you, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, whatever. You fill in the blank, whatever your author is. I'll say Agatha Christie because that's my wife's favorite. This is not some story. This is the word of the holy God. 
This is where we can find rest and we can find God's promises and what we just read in Psalm 96 this morning. In the midst of the storm, what? I laughed when I read that verse. In the midst of the storm, God is with us. Read your scriptures and then answer the question that I asked you. Do you believe these things? Do you believe the word of God? Not on a surface, shallowy level, but in your heart. Times are hard. Times are difficult. It seems like the economy is going to go tanking. We're going to be paying a lot of money for gas. I don't mean this in any disrespect, but who cares? This is not our home. These past couple of months, I've been going through the immigration process to become an American, which happened on Wednesday. So I'm just like one of you with a funny accent now. But this is not my home. Heaven is my home. Now, what I do here matters. What I say here matters. And what I think here matters. Why? Because I have to give an account for it. But this is not the be-all and end-all. This is not what we live for. Brothers and sisters, take God's word as God's word. This is not man's word. Because man will fail you. We will all fail each other at a time. But this is from a, a holy, sovereign, loving God. And if we would actually delve into that and take it at face value, we could, we could have been like the disciples should have been when that storm came and we laughed at it. Yes, it's hard and it's difficult, but we've hope. And that hope is Christ. And so this morning then, continuing on in our third point, the reasons for this storm. And there are all types of storms that we face. But most can be filed under the following three headings. There are storms of correction, storms of perfection, storms of instruction. Regardless of whatever the storm is, it's designed as God's people to grow us. To show us that actually, and this is where you can lynch me and kick me out, you're worthless. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that according to God and how he has, we're nothing. We are dust. God is everything and we need God. We need to be in his word. We need to be a praying people. I can't tell you how encouraged I was to see your placard outside with your meeting times and prayer meetings and then hearing you're all eating together, which I'll hurry up so you can eat a bit quicker. But you're eating together, you're fellowshipping together. That is what a church is about. Being with each other in this building. The building is nothing. The building could burn. I'm sure you'd find somewhere else to meet. If not, you can come up to Placerville. We'll get a bus going. I'm just kidding. But the church is the people. And being together is the greatest thing you guys can do in a Sunday morning. Why? Because you get to come together to worship God. You see, storms are sent to show us that we need God. You need this every Lord's Day. There may be some Sundays, and I will raise my hand, that there are times I wake up with my cup of coffee out of my back porch and I go, man, wouldn't it be nice just to sit here? No. We need the spiritual arbor of God's day to revive us and help us to keep going. Can I commend you to be committed to the meetings of this church? Rob has not paid me at all, just so you know. But I'm asking and I'm begging and I'm pleading, be at the means of grace. Encourage one another when you're here. Don't come in and then just leave. Fellowship with one another. You see, the Lord, the Lord used that storm that night to teach his disciples more of himself, and he does it the same with us. He was about to display a side of his character that these men had no idea about. 
They learned about his character. They learned that he was an all-powerful person, that he was a sovereign creator. They learned that he was Lord of all. Those men were rowing and throwing out water in buckets. And Christ stood up. And in two words, it was like a mirror finish. The winds fell silent. That sea became like a sheet of glass. But there was more storms coming. Read on into Mark chapter 5. Healing. Casting out demons. Controlling a storm was nothing for him. And the Lord that said, peace be still, is the same Lord this morning that comes and, and draws near to you. If the Lord wills, he could silence your storm with a word if he desired to. Oh yeah, he may want that storm to rage. He might want it to keep going. But while in the midst of it, while in the middle of a storm, Christ is able to protect you. He is with you. We teach our kids, where is God? God is everywhere. He's here this morning. Go into your Bibles and read Daniel 3 or Daniel 6. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Daniel in the lion's den. The one who shot a lion's mouth. I was just at Sacramento Zoo and they have a lion. It's a pretty sad looking creature to be honest. But man, it's got a big mouth. When you read Daniel chapter 6, you know, we read that and we go, God shut the lion's mouths. And we just keep going and we don't actually stop to realize those animals hadn't been fed in probably days and weeks. Daniel was thrown If I was thrown in there, it'd been a hard time for God to keep their mouths shut because I have a lot of packing on me. But he would have. God is in the midst. When Jesus calms the storms, what do these men say? Who is this? What a random question to ask. But they hadn't seen this side of the Messiah. They hadn't seen this side of Christ. That the one who is in control of every puff of wind and every angry wave and every storm was right there with them. And he's right there with you too. They passed over. They got to the other side just as Jesus said they would. You see, God's word is true. Everything that God has promised in His Word to do, He will do. We go all the way back to Genesis and we see Christ spoken of there. God promised that He would come and did He? Yep. Tonight I'm going to finish up preaching in Ruth. And we go through all the genealogy. And we see this woman who was a Moabite in a far-off land as a foreigner, and God brought her in. You gave her Boaz. And then we go to Matthew 1, and what do we do? We read of Ruth. And we see Christ coming from that, just as God said it would happen. God is not like us. How often we keep promises or we say we'll do something and then we break it. God will not back away from any promise that he has made in Scripture. This is his words and he can be trusted to keep his promises to his people. But why was the Lord sleeping? Why was Jesus Christ in the midst of a storm fast asleep 
because he knew that he was in the very center of his father's will. He knows that he will die on a cross and not on a shipwreck. He can sleep during the storm because he trusts his father to take care of him. He is peace because his father has told him that he will go to the cross and he will die for the sins of the people. He won't drown in a boat in the middle of a lake, in the middle of the night. Perhaps no one ever find him again. If that situation didn't bother our Lord, then it shouldn't bother us either. He is the Prince of Peace. He is able to share His peace with His people. That's His promise. He goes, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Not strengthened in yourself. Nothing to do with you. Who strengthens me? Who strengthens you? Who strengthens you in a time of hard and difficult days? We have the Bible. It tells us all the things that he has done and can do. We have the testimony of those around us. We have seen in some of you the saving work that God has done in people's lives. And yet at times we don't trust him. We don't trust him fully and I say that speaking as myself. What does he do? He puts us through a storm to teach us that we can lean on him. That we can trust in him and not in us. God takes care of his people. You see, when these men arrived and they put their foot out of the boat and they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gazarenes, Jesus confronted that demon-possessed man. This man who was coming running, I personally would have got on the boat and rode the other direction. But I wonder, I wonder when they saw that man coming, did they nudge each other, say, he's got this, don't worry. When they saw Jairus come for the help of his daughter, and even when she died, did they look at each other and goes, no problem, he's got this. I believe God sent that storm at that time for these men to do what? Increase their faith. Perhaps it was the purpose, perhaps it wasn't. But these men looked at Christ, I'm sure, so differently after that night. And sometimes he sends us through storms to educate us, to teach us to trust in him. Like I said at the very outset, his purpose is not to hurt us. His purpose is to grow us and to shape us and to mold us more like him. God has his reasons for sending storms. Our duty is not to try to figure out why or what's going on. Our duty is to trust him. And to trust him that everything that he does is for his glory and for his purpose. That's a tall order. That can be very difficult. But it's something all of us need to do. Today as we sit here, we're all on the sea. It's a sea of life. We're all in our boat. We all voyage through this life together. But something we need to be very sure of this morning is that Christ is with us in our vessel. 
You see, having Christ in your vessel makes all the difference. And you're all in a vessel individually. I love to kayak. I hate tandem kayaking. Can't do it. End up getting wet, getting an oar up the side of the head and everything. But let me tell you, and especially some of you young people are Perhaps you think, well, because my parents are believers and I'm good. No. You're in this vessel alone. And it's my plea and my urge this morning that Christ would be with you. You see, the disciples were able to call on Christ because he was with them. They were able to see his power move because he was with them. They were able to experience this peace because he was with them. Is he in your vessel this morning? How do you weather the storms of life if he's not? Perhaps this whole time I've been speaking, you've been going, man, my stomach hurts. I'm so hungry. That food smells so good. I don't have any time for this. Let me ask you this morning, would you rather have your sin than Christ? There will come a time when if you stay, that, stay in that situation, that Christ will say, depart from me, I never knew you. This morning, if your boat was shipwrecked, and you lost your life to the storms of death, where would your vessel dock? Hell is a real place. Judgment will happen. And Christ will indeed reject you if you do not turn to him in saving faith. But if he is in your vessel... If he's the one that you can call on to, then this morning I urge you, worship him. Praise him for who he is, for his faithfulness to you. If the storm clouds indeed have gathered and, and those fierce winds are beating around you and if affliction has come your way, then run to Christ. Call on him. Reach out to him. Can we say the words that Horatius Bonner wrote in that famous hymn? A few more years shall roll. A few more seasons come. And we shall be with those that rest asleep within the tomb. And O oh my Lord, prepare my soul for that great day. O oh, wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. A few more storms shall beat. On this wild rocky shore, and we shall be where danger cease and surges swell no more. Where is your vessel going to dock? That is the greatest question that you can answer here this morning. Let's pray together.